Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This show is about why we should all be rethinking our media diets. A better kind of news. Jody Jackson. When we're made aware of the impact that the news has on us, we become equipped to move from being consumers to becoming conscious consumers. The most important thing from this research showed that learning about solutions can make us feel more empowered. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? We've talked a lot over four years of How Do We Fix It about what's wrong with journalism, how it should be changed, about the idea that we should be focusing more on solutions and not always on the negativity. And this episode is different because it's talking about journalism from the perspective of the reader, the viewer, the listener, and we have a non-journalist on the show. Better than that, it also brings in a psychological perspective. What is the impact of relentlessly seeing negative news? And what happens when you change that pattern of consumption? How does it affect your outlook, your mood? We're going to learn a lot about that today. Jody Jackson is an author, researcher, and campaigner for constructive journalism. She has a master's degree in applied psychology. Her new book is called You Are What You Read, Why Changing Your Media Diet can change the world. Jody joins us via Skype from London. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thank you for having me. And we can hear the London rain <laughs> coming through <laughs> yeah, in, the, is, in, in the background. traditionally uh, British. Uh, hopefully, we have the, the bad weather with us. Hopefully the topic will be more optimistic than the weather. But let's start <laughs> off with the problem. You say the news media is damaged. What do you mean by that? I sort of came to this conclusion because... I, I personally had gotten to the point where I couldn't bear to hear another news story. And I didn't always feel so strongly. You know, it was a gradual progression that moved me from being someone who watched the news daily to someone who could no longer stand it. And it was because I had become um, quite depressed about the state of the world and the people in it from, from uh, witnessing stories that I had read in the news. And when I stopped reading the news, just just briefly... People labeled my decision as naive or weak or ignorant, and and some labeled it even extreme. And this reaction that other people had towards me made me feel that I was damaged in some way, that there was something in me that wasn't actually brave enough or strong enough to see the world in, in its ugly existence. But what I quickly realized is it wasn't me. 
but it was the news industry that was damaged. And, and this was a really empowering revelation for me. It was the, the image that I'd been given of the world was distorted. And I realized that actually the problem was with the industry. And that's then when I set to work 10 years ago to actually just learn about you know, how it was, but more importantly, what we could do about it. Yeah, Jim and I are both journalists, and we're very conscious that many of the criticisms of the news media are based on political bias. For instance, in this country, Fox News, it's so biased for conservatives. And or, MSNBC. <laughs> yeah, MSNBC is so biased towards liberals. So, but but you say that the problem is is much bigger than that, different than that. In what ways? Um, I don't think that bias is a problem um, to be fixed, so to speak. I think it's more of an inevitability that needs to be managed. So I think that the um, the ideals of, of objectivity and a lack of bias are hugely important to the industry and, and to the consumers. So it should be strived towards. Uh, but we should acknowledge its shortcomings and be more transparent about the bias a news organization has. But as you mentioned, I think the issue that I'm most concerned about is about the entire culture of the news to report so heavily on the negative. So in the industry, I believe they have a, a mantra that says, if it bleeds, it leads. And, um, and what this does is it pushes these stories of problems, failings, scandals, corruptions, murders, famines, and natural disasters to the front of the news agenda. And, and then for consumers, this becomes all that we see. Because at the same time, news organizations often ignore stories of solutions, progress, peace building, and developments. And, and so we're left with this broken and distorted vision of the world uh, that doesn't necessarily reflect what it actually looks like. So it makes it appear to be much worse than perhaps it is. And, and this isn't to say that these problems and atrocities don't exist because they do. But it's not all that exists. And we're perhaps lacking the context to see where they fit and to and to properly understand their significance. Well, let me push back with a standard sort of news person's perspective. Isn't it the job of the news media to root out corruption, to discover the toxic waste dump that's been hidden? A lot of people, a lot of journalists would say that's their job. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with you. I think that problems-focused news is incredibly valuable. You know, when journalists ask the challenging questions, they highlight failures, expose corruptions, um, and make us aware of problems, as well as hold power to account, the news is incredibly important and valuable in helping us fight and correct injustice. It helps keep us safe and it's helped drive legislation that improves society. And this is because unless we're made aware of the problem, we can't understand, confront and correct it. So it is a good thing. But the problem is we have this huge imbalance and where once it was helpful, it's now actually becoming um, quite harmful. Jody, we've been talking about what's wrong with the news business, but maybe it's what's wrong with us, because I know this from television producers, and they look at something called the minute by minutes. They can see what aspects of a story tweak the viewer to or encourage the viewer to stay with a particular story or drop off. And what they find mm. often is the more sex, the more crime, the more violence, the more catastrophic the story is, the more that people are likely to watch it. You know, the fact that we're so concerned with, with capturing an audience at whatever cost actually undermines the quality of the news reporting that, that's taking place. But, but I agree with you that it's, um, it's up to us as consumers. And this is why my book is focused towards them. Because whilst there's this um, really... Um, 
current conversation happening within the industry about their purpose at the moment, I think that this is a conversation that we need to invite the consumer in on. I think they need to understand the production process, as you mentioned, these minute by minute audience engagement things um, that that actually help place us as consumers in an incredibly powerful editorial position. Because if they care that much about what we're paying attention to, we can be really um, powerful in, in shifting supply by actually changing what we're demanding. In some ways, we're also involved as consumers in this filtering process today when one of some of the most crucial metrics that that media companies look at is how many shares, how many clicks did this particular story get? Do you think this, this problem has gotten worse because of the digital aspect of how news is shared? Yeah, definitely. And I do think that, um, you know, we are... As a species, we're biologically predisposed to pay attention to bad news. It's, it's kept us safe and it's, it's something that's ingrained in our DNA and probably will be as part of our evolution going forward. But what the news industry does is it speaks to this, but it not just speaks to this, it exploits this. So it gives us more and more of these things that we instinctively crave. But what my research and what my book hopes to achieve by actually making consumers aware of the impact that the news has on their mental health, it actually helps them move beyond this instinctive pull towards the negativity. And it helps us reason past our immediate desires to pay attention to certain stories and and make decisions that are in our best interest rather than in the news industry's best interests. So we, you know, it equips us. When we know why we should change our media diet, we become really empowered Um, to then learn how to do that and to actually put that into action. When we're made aware of the impact that the news has on us, we become equipped to move from being consumers to becoming conscious consumers. And and by that, I mean we're able to reason past our immediate desire to pay attention to bad news. Jody, we're not just talking about something that makes us feel kind of negative about the world or is a little bit depressing. You're arguing that these misconceptions – caused by the negativity bias, actually affect our culture in some pretty profound ways because people have these deep misconceptions about the actual world. What are some examples of ideas that people have about the world that just aren't true? Um, Well, one of the biggest failings that we have to acknowledge is actually progress. I was in a conversation with my mother-in-law after I had my first child a couple of years ago. And she said she was so worried for the world that my daughter was going to have to grow up in because it was so much more dangerous than when she was young. And and you have to bear in mind when I say this, that my mother-in-law, she was born into a world war in 1945. And she believes that the world is a more dangerous place today. And and she's not alone in this kind of thinking. In, in, the, in Britain, an astonishing 71% of people believe that the world is getting worse. But actually, since 1945, globally speaking, we're more prosperous, we have better health, better technology, better sanitation, higher IQs, less child mortality, less deaths from conflict, fewer homicides, and we've seen a reduction in overall crime figures. And that's certainly true in the United States as well as the rest of the world. Absolutely. And this isn't to say that everything is improved for everyone everywhere always. You know, as one of my favorite authors, Steven Pinker says, that wouldn't be progress, that would be magic. And and by this, we mean that progress isn't linear. It doesn't just go up and up and up in one direction. Problems will always arise that will uh, prevent or even reverse periods of progress in the short term. But if we look at the data over a long period of time, we can become more aware 
of how things have significantly improved. But what the news does, which is on a slightly different cycle to this kind of longer term um, assessment that's data driven, is it picks out these stories that are shocking and powerful and, and have impact and grab our attention. And, and it gives us this disconnect between our perception of reality and, and what reality actually looks like. You have a background in psychology. And one of the most interesting things about what you're saying is what negative news and this distorted view of the world that we get very often from reading news, what impact that's having on us individually, um, on our mental health. Yeah, this is a really important and often overlooked um, consequence of the news. And um, some of the responses that people had was that it can make them feel anxious, pessimistic and depressed. And these feelings linger even when we switch off because we become so well rehearsed at feeling them. We can also develop a feeling of helplessness, which is where we develop this defeatist attitude that these problems are just too big to solve. Let's drill, uh, let's, drill di- let's drill down on that a little bit, because in your book, you cite a famous study involving dogs that yes. found this phenomenon called learned helplessness. What is that? Learned helplessness is the idea that um, through experiencing something where we have a lack of control, we then come to believe that we're not able to make a difference, that our actions amongst lots of other areas of our life, we're not able to make a difference. And so we, we stop trying. And instead, we accept a fairly unpleasant and possibly avoidable fate because we've become disempowered from believing that we're actually able to contribute to change. So you're saying that we as news consumers and members of our societies have become like passive dogs just lying helplessly on the floor waiting for the next shock of negativity because we don't think there's anything we can do about it. Absolutely. And it's not to say that everybody has these feelings always, but it has been shown that this feeling of helplessness is actually contagious. You don't have to experience it yourself to develop this belief. You can actually catch it from watching other people experience helplessness. Now is the perfect time to consider how we can be more helpful and more active and look at solutions. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're speaking with Jody Jackson, who is the author of the new book, 
you are what you read, why changing your media diet can change the world, kind of a self-help book for, for news consumers. Jody, you've worked with constructive journalism in the UK. Um, how does that uh, jive or, or fit in with the group that we've been working with here in the States, a Solutions Journalism Network? Um, well, they're actually, I mean, they're very similar concepts. I think the term constructive journalism and solutions journalism uh, can be used interchangeably. There might be subtle differences between the two, but this idea is still um, in its infancy. And so the terminology that we have around it has been developed independently. But as we're beginning to collaborate more and more, I think that uh, we're, reali we're realizing that these terms are interchangeable. And actually, our work is hugely complementary of each other. And we've, we have worked together. Um, on some research pieces and um, and also just, you know, in collaborating to try and promote this idea to both the industry and, and now to the consumers. And your work as a researcher isn't all about the problems of negativity. You've also researched the impact of positivity. In 2016, you published a paper called Publishing the Positive, Exploring the Motivations for and the Consequences of Reading Solutions-Focused Journalism. So what did you find? Um, well, I found that, and it's important to stress here that when um, when I'm looking at these these findings, it's not people who exclusively read solutions focused news. It was that they they had a healthy balance of both, rather than you know ignoring one or prioritizing the other. Uh, but what was really what was really interesting is the balance of having both the problems and solutions. It was shown to reduce anxiety. It improved our mood in the short term and actually shifted our mindset in the long term. And um, it's because these these short term feelings transform into something stronger and more permanent and practice them more often. It was shown to restore our faith in humanity. It improves social cohesion and builds resilience. But most importantly, the most important thing from this research showed that learning about solutions can make us feel more empowered. Um, so it actually counteracts this feeling of helplessness that we discussed before. And this is because it helps us develop three essential psychological ingredients and they're optimism, hope and self-efficacy. What do you mean by those and how can they help us? So hope and optimism, they're both beliefs that the future can be better than the past. Not that it will be better, but that it can be better. And, and it's interesting because optimistic and hopeful people in this day and age can have a somewhat unfair reputation uh, we can awfully, often be branded as cheerfully naive, and it's almost used like an insult, as if it was a flaw in an otherwise reasonable person. And now we're um, finding it's also being used as an insult by people who say, oh, you're just privileged, that's why you're optimistic. Yeah, I mean, it can be, really, good point, because people treat it like it's a luxury, as if the only reason that you don't have it is because you're not party to the kind of suffering that exists. But actually... Um, the idea of hope actually has to exist in and amongst suffering because it's what creates the desire to want something better. Jim and Jody, we're not playing by the Schaefer playbook. Um, our producer, Miranda Schaefer, has reminded us, as she sometimes does, that we're throwing around a term that we assume everybody knows and perhaps they don't. And that is, what is solutions journalism? I'm actually really glad you asked that because it does, um, it's riddled with misunderstanding. But what we're talking about when we say solutions journalism, we're not talking about lighthearted, uplifting, entertaining puff pieces. 
We're actually talking about rigorous journalism that reports critically on tangible progress being made in order for us to understand how issues are being dealt with. So we still look at the problem, but then we look beyond the problem to see um, what people are doing about it, you know, what solutions are being put in place and ask if it's scalable, is it replicable? If consumers are going to change the news landscape by what we choose to focus on, how do we find it? There are some organizations that um, almost exclusively focus on on solutions-focused news. Um, The Correspondent, which has just raised $2.5 million from a crowdfunding campaign, which just shows how much consumers really crave this kind of news. Although they don't exclusively report on solutions, it's part of their... um, of their wider philosophy, which they're quite vocal about. Um, you can read from The Guardian Upside, BBC World Hacks. I know that they're UK um, organisations, but you've got New York Times Fixes, um, the How Do We Fix It podcast as well, I'm <laughs> sure. You. Is worth. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but on my, on my website, youarewhatyoureread.com, I have almost a starter pack. So if you are interested in pursuing a healthier media diet that includes solutions... Um, there is a starter pack on there of news organizations to to sort of read from, events to attend, organizations to know, and books to buy. One organization I don't think we did mention because they do link to um, Solutions Stories, and that's solutionsjournalismnetwork.org here in the States. Yes. Yeah. They have their Solutions Stories tracker, which, which spans across loads of different organizations and, and creates a sort of... Um, aggregated platform for these stories, but they also do a, a huge amount of training and working with the journalists um, and helping sort of shape change within the industry as well. You know, if we're really to fully understand the full picture, we have to take a longer term view on a narrative. We can't just go in and be made aware of the problem any more than we can go in and be made aware of a solution. We need to have a much wider lens on these issues and and dabble in the complexities of them. Oh, you're preaching to the choir with Jim. <laughs> I, I came from daily news. I came from what's the difference between today and yesterday. And you're saying perhaps we should have less of that. And, and but more of Jim's magazine journalism. Long, yes. long form long, long form journalism. I'm, yes. actually write, I'm actually writing a piece right now and I'm up to like 6,000 words and I feel like that's not enough. <laughs> and it's actually... It's it a, is. You know, you should tune in. You should tune in less often and go more in depth because at the moment, as a consumer, we're hugely oversupplied and we're massively underinformed, and that's because we're lacking the context that this kind of, um, you know, longer form, longer term view has. Jody Jackson, author of the new book, "You Are What You Read: Why Changing Your Media Diet Can Change the World." Thanks for joining us on How Do We Fix It. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Jim, I think what's new about what Jody Jackson is saying and her approach is that she sees this whole thing that that you and I are involved with, journalism, from an outsider's perspective. She's not a journalist. And so she has focused her thoughts and her book on her campaign on helping readers and viewers and listeners of news um, as a self-help way of of improving our news diet. Right. It's almost like, you know, eat three square meals a day and make sure you eat your vegetables. Um, you know, 
look at the news, but don't always look at uh, the news of the day. Go deeper, go slower, and also include stories that have perhaps a somewhat more positive focus. But also, she's not just saying this is good for you. She's got two other points. One is that over time, if enough people do this, it'll affect the news media because they're tracking what we're following, sharing, reading. And also, we hit on this, but I think it's really important, more than ever, consumers are part of the news ecosystem. We control which stories go viral. And way too often, we click on that thing that kind of gets us fired up or gets us angry or makes us go, holy cow, that's terrible, that's sad. And we talked about this with Zainab Tefechi, how we are programmed, our brains are programmed to respond to intense negative stuff, stuff that makes us angry, much more than to positive stuff. So maybe before you click, before you send that story around that you haven't even really read all the way through on your Facebook feed just because the headline pissed you off, you know, maybe we all need to slow down just the way the media needs to think a little bit more, but maybe we all as consumers, because we amplify these negative stories if we're not careful. Yeah, we should give a plug for ourselves here. And we have done a number of shows around improving journalism because it's very close to home for us. And one of them is David Bornstein, who did a great job of defining solutions journalism in episode 47 of How Do We Fix It? It was called A Better Way to Report the News. So that one is certainly worth revisiting. Yeah, if you want to go back and kind of get a primer. And it's a great, it's a great organization, a great website to visit. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard And Davis, I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Music, by the way, which you're probably hearing underneath us, is by Lou Because it's Str- time to play us off? Is that exactly. It's time to get out of here. It's by Lou Stravinsky. We're a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Thanks for listening. 